This episode of the Zero Cafe podcast is made possible by our partners, Online Influence Institute and VWO. Today I talk with Erwin Kerk, senior consultant at Sidespecs for over 11 years now, and we're going to talk about browsers, cookies, and Zero. In case you missed the previous episode, we spoke with Abby Schoenberg, the director of marketing at Fancy.com, about how UX and Zero are handled at the social e-commerce marketplace Fancy.com. And you can listen to that episode on www.zero.cafe or in the podcast app you're listening with right now. Welcome to season three, episode six. Welcome to the Zero Cafe podcast. And first off, of course, we would love to know a bit more about you, uh, your work at SiteSpect. And uh, uh, let's let's start off with uh, with what SiteSpect actually does. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so, yeah, my name is uh, Erwin Kerk. I'm a senior consultant for SiteSpect. And uh, at SiteSpect, we provide an experimentation platform, which is uh, rather unique in its implementation. So most tools that you will know will use some kind of uh, JavaScript tra- uh, tag or script. But in SizePact, we try to stay away from that and have a completely different delivery mechanism. So that means that we um, position ourselves between the browser and your visitor and the actual web server, which means that everything that the browser does is, uh, well, not intercepted might not be the best word, especially not if I'm talking to a security guy, but we can see everything that the user is sending, every request and everything that the web server is returning. So the full web page or and uh, a, a JavaScript or CSS, we can change that on the fly without the user actually seeing that change. So our benefit is that we have a yep. smarter delivery mechanism and that we can do it without any risk of a flicker effect uh, in the experiment on the browser. And you've already been working for the company for over 11 years, right? Yeah, almost 11 years now. So I'm, I'm uh, in March, I will be hitting my 11-year mark. And that indicates nice. that uh, I have basically the best job ever. So it's the most diverse I've uh, <laughs> I've ever had so far. I've never stayed that long with a company. Also, not planning to leave anytime soon. So, uh, and that's a combination of having really cool clients to work for. So it's the bigger names, uh, enterprise customers, some smaller, some bigger, um, and uh, with various degrees of maturity. So we can have a, a company that we only need to support on the technical level, but we also have companies where we actually work with them to. Um, create their experimentation program yeah, and that together with a really cool team. Uh, so we're a relative small team here in, in Europe, but it's a very agile and very effective team. So there's a lot of uh, um, general knowledge and uh, some spe- specialties for each of the team members. Yeah. So where, where is SiteSpec based and how is, how is it dispersed over the world? How, how does that work? So SiteSpec originally is a U.S. company founded in 2004 in Boston. So uh, probably at some point, someone woke up with a great idea that evolved into what SiteSpec is today. Uh, and we have a team in, uh, in in Boston, US, of course. That's the biggest team, uh, all working from home right now, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, we have a team in the UK supporting their UK customers. And we have a team here in the Netherlands for mainland Europe, basically. Okay, okay. And uh, yeah, you already mentioned uh, SiteSpec is set up a bit differently. Uh, usually, um, um, how these A/B testing tools work is they they basically change the things inside the browser. So first, all the content is delivered to the user, and then uh, on site in their on their phone on their laptop, uh, that's where the changes take place. Uh, you take a different approach. Uh, all things are changed on on the server side. Uh, you're in between uh, that user and uh, the the server where the website uh, resides. So how does that compare? I mean, I can imagine that both take time. I mean, something takes time uh, when it needs to be changed in, in the in the on the browser side, 
but it's things also take take time if there's a server in between that needs to change things uh, well, for the user. So how do, how do they how do they do these compare? That's absolutely true. So uh, you can't do anything without it taking some time, of course. But yeah. uh, I think the difference here is that with a, a script based solution, usually you need to load a tag, and you are first delivering the original page. So you're already spending time and resources on delivering the original very uh, page of the to the customer. And then after that, you're going to load the, the variant on top of that. So you're adding additional time needed for uh, making the change. Uh, while with Sidefix, for example, we basically strip out the full original version and replace it on the fly. So the payload doesn't get any bigger. Uh, in yeah. addition to that, while um, tag-based tools usually need to wait until the page has been rendered in some form that they can change, we can already start making those changes on the fly while the page is being served. So we don't need to wait for the full page to be ready. When we see a certain markup coming by through SideSpec, we can already start changing that and giving the browser a head start for rendering. Yeah, it depends a bit on how those uh, those tech-based solutions work uh, in, in the way they uh, do this. But it, it, however they work, they, they will require uh, some time, some resources of that phone or laptop. <laughs> to Absolutely. I can imagine, so- especially on... On uh, on phones, it can be uh, quite resource intensive relative to the to the device uh, to actually perform those calculations and and ch- do those changes, right? Absolutely, and uh, especially if you're looking at the more complex scenarios that you're testing a lot of look and feel changes, uh, we see a lot that that customers that switch to SideSpec uh, used to. Uh, use a tag-based tool and then had um, a big re- reliance on development teams to make that change in the backend. So that means that they can't benefit of the, the fast-paced experimentation program that we'd like to have, but still need to rely uh, on developers for those more advanced changes, because otherwise they might be loading the browser up with too many scripts, too many code actually in, the, in that smaller device. And luckily, most phones, especially in, 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 uh, in Europe, are fast and pretty good. So, but uh, if you're a company with a global presence, for example, you need to account for also situations where the phone might not be that fast or the, the internet connection might not be that fast. So it's something that you need to keep in mind as well. About uh, 10 years ago, uh, some browsers had some extensions uh, blocking scripts. Uh, minority of users were using those, uh, but browsers are catching on, blocking cookies, uh, blocking scripts themselves. Uh, the, the worst offenders in this case if you would say worst offenders, they're, they're, they're doing it for doing it for privacy reasons. But I think uh, Brave and, uh, and and Safari are the ones that are uh, doing this uh, the most. Uh, Chrome is the most lenient one. Uh, I guess uh, Google has a stake in in people using scripts. I guess uh, somehow um, and, and being able to serve ads and and, and, <laughs> that kind and of everything stuff. cookie related. Exactly. Uh, but but give you, can you give us a, a short uh, a TLDR of of what is happening? I mean, most people listening to this podcast uh, will have uh, some idea of what's coming. Uh, but can you give us a a short a short, uh, a, a short yeah, st- state of affairs of uh, what's happening right now. Yeah, so basically a long, long time ago when the internet was invented, uh, it was stateless. And at some point someone discovered that cookies, uh, mechanism of cookies where you send small pieces of information back and forth between the browser and the web server made things a lot easier for a lot of scenarios. One of the um, uh, more common scenarios is like being able to log into a website, very useful, very benign, also a, a good thing to do. But more and more, these cookies also got used by uh, third-party advertising agencies or tracking or personalization tools. 
So there's there's a, a less beneficial side effect for the user there as well of those cookies. So what browsers starting uh, starting to do is see how they can make the internet still usable for the users, but by blocking more and more uh, cookies, but not only cookies. It's usually it's uh, called script writable storage. That would include not only the cookies, but also local storage or session storage. Um, and they're trying to make the user more protected, I guess, from these third parties or advertising uh, cookies. And in a rather aggressive way sometimes. So it could be that um, if you're looking at a, a one single user getting a couple of cookies, but within 24 hours, those cookies could disappear if the user doesn't visit the site often enough. And that means that from um, a publisher's perspective, um, you lose a lot of capacity to um, identify or recognize those users, which is helpful when you want to target things or make sure that the experience is tailored towards a user. And that means that a, a single user uh, that comes to the website like uh, today and maybe somewhere end of next week as well is identified as two individuals by your, uh, your system, while in reality it's the same user. From a user perspective, you could say that that's not a bad thing. So um, the, the, the publisher doesn't need to know who I am. But it would also mean that, for example, any advertising you get will be less targeted and could be more intrusive or annoying as well. Yeah, same with uh, personalization, right? I mean, uh, it's not all bad. Um, it, it can be, no, it's it, definitely it can, not all bad. It can be very helpful if, if you can just show me the things that I, uh, based on the things that I uh, bought before or the things I'm interested in and, and serve me things. Um, well, I think an obvious example that many people will, will recognize is uh, when you go to YouTube, they, they serve you uh, videos based on your interest. Uh, of course, if you go to the extreme, you can also say this is creating a filter bubble. It is. <laughs> uh, that, that, that also has negative effect. But they're, 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 if, if you have some nice balance between uh, showing new things and showing things based on, you, on what you like, that that's, uh, obviously they're doing that because it in, increases engagement uh, with the websites. Uh, and you do that because it's it's useful for you or interesting to you. So, and I guess that balance shifts back and forth uh, during this cat and mouse game between browsers and third-party uh, advertising, for example, because they try the, the browsers try to protect the end user and start blocking certain uh, technologies in the browser. Like first they started with blocking cookies, then the uh, advertising parties started to respond like, okay, let's use uh, session storage or local storage in the browser. So now most browsers are also having some uh, some effects on that as well and start blocking that as well. So it will be a cat and mouse game. So before we find that balance, it will, uh, well, um, my, exception, uh, my expectation is that it will take a few more years before we find some kind of balance here. But it also means that slowly the, the benefits of cookies uh, will be limited to hopefully only the benign cases, to the good things that can come out of it. And that the uh, and and I'm saying that from a, a customer's perspective, so the the consumer's perspective, but from looking at what my customers want to do, they want to be able to identify users to learn as much as they can from them. Yeah, that's the, I guess the the tension between the two sides of it. For depending on your perspective, it's either good or bad. Yesterday's brainstorm was so good. I really liked Steph's idea of running that test on the call to action buttons. Making them orange will really make them stand out, don't you think? Yeah, right.
Do you want to design real A-B test winners and achieve enormous conversion uplift? Then stop brainstorming and take a scientific approach. If you can read Dutch, follow the steps in Online Influent, the bestseller on managementbook.nl. Or enroll in the author's course and become an expert in applying proven behavioral science yourself. Go to onlineinfluence.com for more information and free downloads. So how does SiteSpect help in this? How does how is SiteSpect, uh, the, the way that SiteSpect works, we just explained it, it's a bit differently than uh, than uh, many other uh, uh, optimization tools. Um, how does that help in this case? Yeah, so some scenarios with ITP and ETP are safe. So um, uh, it's, it's mostly targeted at script-writable storage. Uh, and one of the things I, uh, I just explained is that SiteSpect doesn't rely on any script. So we work from... If you look at it from a browser's perspective, SiteSpec is server-side. But if you look at it from a server's perspective, SiteSpec seems to be client-side. Actually, we're right in the middle. So uh, again, it's uh, depending on your perspective. But the SiteSpec cookies are, first of all, not third-party because SiteSpec is installed on a customer's domain. So if we're looking at .example.com, then it's not that our... SiteSpec code is coming from a separate domain like example.sitespec.com or sitespec.example.com. So we are part of the same domain, which makes us first party, which is uh, the the first benefit. Second benefit is that our cookies are sent from the server, from the browser's perspective. That means that our cookies are considered safe. Our cookies are considered um, non-intrusive. And we also mark our cookies as what they call HTTP-only cookies. So that means that in the browser, you can't even read or access them. Yeah. So in that way, SiteSpec is, well, safe until they decide to completely kill the cookies, <laughs> yeah. which at some point in future most likely will happen. But uh, once we get there, there we need to, to rely on different mechanisms that at that point hopefully are uh, have evolved into something really use- useful. Yeah. So how does that work uh, regulation-wise? Because if you if you just um, if if the regulator says okay, you cannot use th- these kind of technologies uh, to track users, like or, or the or the browsers do, it doesn't really matter in this case if it's uh, I mean browsers have such <laughs> such power. Uh, either regulator or, or or browser says okay, we cannot use third-party cookies anymore. Uh, if it's if those regulations are are based on specific technology that you cannot use, people will find a way. Uh, I mean, last week I, I read a way uh, people could use the the FAF icon uh, as, as as a way to track to track users yeah. and 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 use that. So uh, there there will always be a way. But if if the regulator says uh, okay, you cannot you cannot personalize something without someone knowing. Uh, so someone has has to give consent to personalization, for example. Uh, then the technology doesn't matter anymore. So then still. SitePack needs to comply with that, right? So the, the, in, in that sense, that's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. So consent is, I guess, the key word in a lot of these discussions yeah. because uh, a lot of the tools are now basically blocked. So browsers are blocking things. Or, but what, in my opinion, they should do is tell the user what's happening and give the user an option. Yeah. But we all know what happens if you just uh, present a little dialogue at every website and every visit. A user will just happily click on the biggest button they can find. And uh, there, it's still not an informed consent. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot of things going on, especially here in Europe. We see a lot of uh, legislation being uh, being passed for, okay, we can't track the user without them knowing, or we can't save cookies without them knowing. And depending on how you explain those uh, those laws, you might have yeah some some little holes that you can use. 
But Sidespec can, of course, just follow that rule. So if uh, uh, one of our customers decides to put on a, a cookie compliancy um, filter in front of the website, then uh, they can ask us to basically follow that compliancy. And that means that uh, a user that has not given consent cannot be tested with Sidespec, yeah. which is, of course, a bummer. Uh, we, we'd love to test that user. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, it's very different uh, across our customers. Some customers consider Sidespec as an analytical tool uh, and basically um, make us follow the, the compliance. Mm -hmm. But there's also companies that actually um, find this a more yeah, functional cookie or a required cookie because they use this to make their tool better in somehow. Yeah. So it's, it's not that it's always uh, behind the compliance uh, um, filter. But sometimes it's also, we'll just test the user. Yeah. Do you see big differences in that sense uh, for, uh, well, I guess you mainly work for European clients. Uh, but when you uh, talk with your colleagues uh, at SiteSpec, there are there big differences uh, between uh, why people then start using SiteSpec uh, across the world? Uh, the, well, the reasons for, for companies using SiteSpec are varying between uh, the feature set that they might get. And uh, hopefully, uh, of course, uh, I, I believe SizePack is uh, is having a good feature set. But depending on your scenario, that might be true or not. Uh, we also see a lot of um, data privacy uh, as being one of the main reasons, and that has to do with the fact that we can also be implemented not externally, like in a CDN, but we can also provide physical hardware for your data center. So if you are a bank or a financial institution, or for example, you work in Germany where they have this Datenschutz law, which is extremely strict. And uh, the German companies also make it a sport into following that to the letter. Um, <laughs> then they, they might consider SiteSpec because we can have the complete tool in their data center yeah. where no data is leaving their secured environment. It could also mean uh, we have several customers where we can't actually access our own SiteSpec servers without their permission and without a 4i principle. And um, this all, uh, th this sounds like a really um, uh, enterprise uh, end solution. Does it mean it's also really expensive to run SiteSpec? I mean, if you, if you need to uh, uh, get your own server for that and uh, put that in between uh, the user and, uh, and your own uh, servers where your website is, uh, is running, does it make SiteSpec really expensive compared to the other ones or how does that work? No, not at all. Um, I think the, the return on investment in SiteSpec is um, equally as good or even better than other tools. Uh, I think uh, price-based were somewhere between the, 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 the main players and uh, the, 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 even the cheaper ones. Uh, but it also, of course, depends on how you plan to use the tool. So you can, can get a cheap tool and uh, spend a lot of money on your, um, uh, your internal resources, like the people working on it. Uh, or you can do it the other way around, get a really expensive tool, but only have a single uh, person working with it. But I think you need to find the balance here. And what we get so far with the discussions we have with our uh, customers and potential customers is that our price is basically pretty average. But uh, for that pretty average price, uh, you also get a really good team that supports you. <laughs> and I guess that's the benefit. But yeah, sorry, I promised my colleagues yeah. to, uh, to get, yeah. give them a and, little bit of praise and here. So, so, and besides the, um, the, the, the whole, uh, um, every, everything that relates to uh, this being a service side tool versus, uh, versus client side tool, uh, what are the other features set that set SizePack uh, uh, apart? So I guess the, the main feature, of course, is the, the uniqueness of our implementation uh, 
that that brings a you know, lot what, of what does that allow me to do as a as a zero exactly. specialist what does that allow me to lo- to do what other tools does, don't allow so me to so the, the, the basically we have five six ways of making changes with this tool so while tech based tools always rely on javascript codes to execute the the, the changes we can uh, leverage um, quite a few things uh, the basic version well it's not like we have different versions but the basic approach would be search and replace so everybody knows how to do search and replace, especially at the beginning of the year. Yeah. You take all your old documents, change the year of 2020 and change it into 2021. That is basically <laughs> what SiteSpeak can do as well. But we do it on the fly. So yeah. while a page passes, so you're looking up your uh, your um, uh, website, your travel website, and it has a certain phrase of text or a certain piece of markup in the original source code, then SiteSpeak can look for that and replace it with something else. That means that... The original is gone, the replacement's in there, and the browser doesn't know about it. It will just render whatever we feed it. So, um, And that is more powerful than just being able to do it with JavaScript because we can also change things that are not necessarily accessible through JavaScript. So we can, uh, for example, change a, a data layer or we can change the complete markup of the full page. We can replace it with a completely different page. On the other hand, that's waiting for the response for a web server. And then we change the things on the fly and, and swap out images, uh, change CSS, uh, whatever you want to do. We can also leverage uh, the benefit of most customers having a pretty flexible CMS. So if you can copy a page in the CMS to a new URL and then make your changes there. For a lot of users, they don't want to work a lot in a tool like that. Uh, in in SizePick, for example, you can do a lot, but maybe they're more comfortable with the CMS system. So let's just copy a page, give it a new URL, make all the changes. And then in SizePick, uh, we can set up a redirection experiment with either a real redirect, which any tool can do. You see the URL shifting, yeah. and then uh, we load the original and immediately go to the next page. But in SizePick, we can also make that invisible. That means that while the user is requesting the original URL, let's call it original.html, we're actually fetching variant.html from a web server without the user ever seeing that URL. Yeah, nice. Um, uh, furthermore, we have uh, what we call origin experiments, and um, that might look a little bit like the, the server-side solutions that all the, all the vendors have, but in our case, when the request from the browser goes through SiteSpec to the web server, we add information in that request, and that information could indicate to a web developer like, okay, I need to do something different. A uh, good example would be shipping costs. It's easy to pull them off the front uh, end of the website, uh, hide them or change them. But once the order gets into the fulfillment system, uh, that is creating an invoice and still the, the actual shipping cost will yep. be on there. So that's a suboptimal experience to the end user. So what we can do is send instructions to that backend for this specific visitor, we've exposed them to a variation that says no shipping costs, so please do not calculate the shipping cost. Slight uh, reliance on a developer, of course, but it could all be prepared uh, well in advance. And even we have customers that actually incorporate that into, into their whole uh, development process, that every new feature that gets developed is somehow switchable, like feature flagging, and then with SiteSpec we send that switch and test what uh, what they're doing and see what the effects are on the on the bottom line. Will this work? Hmm, maybe not. Isn't that what we're all trying to figure out? With VWO, create an A/B test 
different variations of your website to continuously discover the best performing versions that improve conversions. Stop guessing. Start A-B testing with VWO today. Right. Yeah. And then that's very useful. Those are things that, uh, yeah, uh, client-side tools cannot do. Uh, you, you can change everything that's in the HTML or CSS exactly. output. But uh, <laughs> whatever happens in the back end still happens in the back exactly. end. Exactly. And, and besides that, um, with most tools, you can basically uh, work on whatever is on your screen. So the HTML yep. and the, the result of the HTML, the JavaScript and CSS, basically. But in SiteSpec, since every request is going through that SiteSpec layer, we can also work on API requests. We can work on uh, JSON feeds that are coming in. We can work on uh, CSS files directly or JavaScript files directly. And more and more, of course, we see single-page applications, which rely heavily on JavaScript. Uh, and with single-page applications, there's, of course, the challenge that not everything you see on screen has been generated as is by the server. So some yeah. things will happen in the browser. So uh, hypothetical example, if I have a website uh, selling uh, selling food or, or drinks, uh, and I want to experiment on the, on, the, on, the, on the listing page, on the category page, uh, showing those products, but hey, I would I would like to, based on user research, of course, of course, I see that users are, are already interested in hey, what are the, what would be the ingredients uh, in these products? They were already interested in that on the on the listing page. But yeah, if you run a, a certain a, a client side tool, if that information is not on that page, you cannot use it. But SiteSpec would allow me to pull that information exactly. uh, in and and display exactly. That. Okay. And a uh, and, and great example, by the way, I've, I know of one of our uh, customers worldwide that uh, did an, exo- uh, an experiment where they actually um, created, in this case, not the experiment itself might not be that interesting, but the kind of metrics and goals that they set for that experiment were very interesting because they were looking at the actual nutritional information of products. So mm-hmm. if you do an add to cart and you add a product with a certain value, of course, but what they were also calculating is how many fat did that add to the cart, how many sugar, how many salt, how many carbohydrates. And in that way, yeah. to see if they can somehow influence the users selecting more healthy products. And that information was present on the responses when they didn't add to cart. So, and SiteSpec had no trouble at all uh, figuring that information out. Nice, nice. Yeah, cool examples. Um, yeah, but back to uh, what browsers are doing. Uh, can you tell us a bit uh, about the developments of what browsers are are doing? What we can expect to happen in the, yeah in the following months to a year? Well, yeah, basically all the storage solutions that we currently have in the browser at some, will somehow be affected um, at, at any point in future. So cookies are already affected, session storage uh, and and uh, local storage are already affected, but they will be squeezing down on it even more. So while um, a certain cookie might now be um, blocked after 24 hours, that may be even faster. And they're really looking, and and that is kind of what I like about uh, how they approach it. They are looking at the context of a user's session. So if the user just typed in an address, go to a website, that ITP mechanism might um, respond a little different than if they clicked through from a search algorithm or uh, from uh, a different website with all kinds of identifying parameters in the URL, for example. So they're trying to tailor it to what is actually um, useful at that point for the the user. Okay. 
So that's uh, that's what's happening. Um, but um, I guess what we also will see happening is that the all the tricks that that are in the book about trying to circumvent these uh, these solutions, like uh, let's do C name tracking, so we become a first party, or uh, let's do a redirection, which uh, uh, can get rid of some parameters. All of that is detectable, and at some point will be will be blocked or changed somehow. Yeah. So I guess what what we should be looking at at some point is what mechanisms do we still have at some point that are still useful and will never go away. And I believe that that one uh, one of the mechanisms that we will never see disappear is authentication, because we can't live without websites where we where we need uh, can't log in. So we, we need to have our bank or we need to have our, our YouTube account or, or Facebook or we need to somehow log in. And a login basically is the best identifier of a user ever. Do you think that uh, a lot of the websites will move to that, that they will just start instead of uh, the, the first page, show, uh, show a cookie notification? Uh, show everyone a, a login page. Otherwise, you cannot visit the page. Well, yeah, otherwise you cannot visit the page might be a pretty bold statement. But at some point, I do yeah. think that uh, every website that tries to make money online needs to think about how they can persuade the user to log in. What kind of uh, added values can they uh, create by, uh, by having the user log in? Could be as simple yeah. as being able to store certain things you've looked at, or um, to personalize the website to your liking with different color styles. Could be really simple things. Could also be more advanced things where, if you log in, you get a, a maybe there's some incentive. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point we see uh, websites basically giving some kind of kickback fee to users if they log in. Yeah, I would not be surprised at all. Yeah, and uh, um, I mean there there are there are a lot of ways of doing that, but uh, for, from the from the merchant perspective, uh, if you cannot track them, they, they become <laughs> less and less valuable. Exactly. So you can give them a, a kickback fee um, uh, for logging in. Yeah. Yeah. So based on your data, you can calculate what a user is uh, is is valued, uh, what value is that user to you. So uh, if you're willing to to give a little bit of that to the user itself, it might be very interesting to start. Uh, visiting certain websites where I normally wouldn't go. Yeah, exactly. And uh, what are the differences that you see uh, between between the different browsers and different uh, companies involved in this, in ITP, ETP? Well, I think the pace in which they do things is the main differentiator here. So uh, while the browsers that are not necessarily affiliated somehow to a company that tries to make money on advertising and third-party tracking. <coughs> Google. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll be in the fore forefront of, of, of what the changes are, especially uh, you yeah. mentioned Brave already as the, well, uh, either the, the, the worst offender or the best performer. It, and again, that depends not, yeah. on your perspective. <laughs> they don't yeah. have a business model that relies on that uh, uh, being part of that ecosystem um in general, they do have, of course, a Brave has a, its, its own business model where you can, there's somehow a kind of economy system going on where you can pr uh, pay with points to, to certain advertisers. And so they, they try to come up with alternatives. But in general, of course, yeah, if you make money on the internet with, uh, with advertising and you also own a browser, then you probably won't be the first one to actually yeah. close everything down and make advertising impossible. Yeah. I think even those uh, those front runners like like Brave or uh, what Safari is trying to do, they're they're held back uh, because people do expect uh, browsers to function in a certain way. And if you visit websites through through those restrictive browsers, uh, a lot of things might break. I mean, a lot of websites already I see 
uh, mentioning that please, please use Chrome to use if, if the, the tool we're using Absolutely, right now yeah. to record this. They they say oh please use Chrome because then we then we can make sure that everything uh, just works uh, and uh, and it br- starts breaking down when you go to Firefox or uh, or or Safari or Brave uh, then then things might not work as expected and that's really annoying right if if you then as a user if if those websites if a lot of, like the majority of websites don't work properly in those browsers uh, like Brave yeah as, as a user you don't <laughs> You you you're constantly switching back and forth between browsers. That's not a great experience either. No, it definitely is not. And I guess we need to make a distinction there between the things that don't work because certain technologies are not available in a browser, and that especially with the tool we're now using, uh, with uh, with was your example, uh, there are certain things that, for example, in Safari would not work because they're not supported in Safari. But that has nothing to do with the fact that the the, the different tracking mechanisms are uh, apply here. Um, Yes, there are many websites that either don't work well because a lot of tracking is disabled, but I think that's also on the publishers to find ways around that, to make your website still work and do not rely on those technologies too much. Why would uh, a certain video not play because you have not accepted cookies? I don't know. Uh, the, the only valid reason for that is uh, we need that cookie because we want to identify you so we can track your information. But yeah, exactly. But, but then if there's a if there's a value in that for that advertiser, uh, they might say, okay, it, it's it it might not be a long term solution, but right now, correct? Yeah, <laughs> right now it's still adding value. So as for as long as I can hold on to this. I'm going to try it. Oh, absolutely. That's exactly what you see happening. It's it's uh, if there's any yeah. chance of of losing money then they will yeah, grasp it and and try to do it. But um I think a healthy strategy for those companies should also be looking at the long term. How can we still provide uh, our advertising or our, our our exposure to customers without needing too much information of them. So, yeah, the the weight will shift from trying to personalize it as much as we can, probably to more context-specific. Like yeah. uh, you're uh, looking yeah. at it into a certain context, so this is probably what you want to look at instead of we know what you did last summer and now this is what you're going to look at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and um, but, but still, if you... If you um, this this uh, this dilemma this this is slowing down this move. I mean, it's, it's inevitable that we move there, but it's it's being slowed, slowed down. Uh, because of this, uh, but do you then think um, so? For example, if, if you're uh, you're a merchant uh, selling stuff online, and for some for some reason, over ninety five percent of your users use, is using Chrome anyway, um, do you need to be worried, or can you just relax for the coming year, two years, because nothing's going to happen anyway? I don't know what time frame we can attach to that, but I think you should worry anyway, because um, it's not being said that they will still be using Chrome in two years. Anything can change. At some point, everybody thought Netscape is the best browser. Let's use Netscape. And we all know what happened there. (laughs) Um, I think uh, a lot of the the online population nowadays will probably respond with, what is Netscape? Uh, Same thing happens with uh, uh, Internet Explorer. uh, We've seen similar things for Opera. We see people shifting back and forth. Um, the user experience that a browser can give their users combined with how uh, how, how how workable the, the internet is. So if indeed a Chrome browser is, is the best solution at that moment, then yes, definitely uh, uh, you might be safe for a while, but uh, don't take it for granted. 
so what can users uh, <laughs> besides switching to SiteSpec, of course, what can what can uh, what can people do to prepare for this? What what are the steps they need to take? Uh, and especially, of course, uh, the CRO, especially is listening to this, uh, that might be uh, getting a bit worried. Um, how, how do I get a, a grasp of how big this issue is for me? Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't need to think they need to worry about their job, but basically this is creating all kind of new work for CROs. So that's that's yeah. kind of good. But I think uh, the best start would be to make an assessment of your current data. What do we see? Are we somehow affected by the effects that we see in certain browsers? And we know that there's Firefox and Safari. So you might want to look at a, a report over time if that data is somehow losing quality. There's plenty of tools out there that also uh, allow you to make some kind of a predictive calculation on, okay, this could be the effect uh, if if 70% of your traffic, for example, is coming from a mobile Safari. So that is the first thing I think you need to, to look at. Then put that in perspective with the overall picture of your data. It might not be a problem at all if you see some data shifting, um, especially in, in A-B tests. Uh, you could always um, say that any discrepancy in your data should be equal between A and B. So that's that's pretty safe. Of course, there's a, a lot of more nuance there where some experiments will be affected by, by those discrepancies and some won't. But for the long term, I think you should be looking at how can we create additional value for customers without relying too much on their specific data. So how can we look at the whole package and not... Uh, not not focus too much on an individual and how an individual would behave. Of course, they're still important, but if we can persuade them to, on a website, um, sign up for an account, or if we can uh, uh, ask them to allow the cookies and properly explain why we need those cookies and what would be in it for them, then I guess that's uh, that's more a user-centric approach. Look from it from the user's perspective, but do not... Um, do not basically assume that you will get the data that you would like to have. Yeah. And then, uh, for example, for personalization, you could move to, uh, in, instead of saying, okay, you visited uh, or purchased uh, this uh, this product or visited this category, you say, okay, uh, I don't know who you are, but I know from people that visited this <laughs> this category, they also like this product. Exactly. Or, or bought this or were interested in that uh, uh, more so we can show you that instead of making it a one-on-one. Yeah, and if uh, you, you can, uh, actually to um, um, build on that skill set to, to be able to do that and present it in such a way that for a user it's, it's attractive instead of them uh, seeing um, cute kittens on the internet while we're actually looking for something else. But if we can somehow match that interest uh, without the reliance on uh, all that data for that individual user, then I guess you have a benefit over other competitors that are still grasping onto the old methods. Yeah. So by the, by the way, is uh, personalization something I can also do with uh, SiteSpec? Yes, definitely. Okay. So we do still rely on cookies for it, of course, but since our cookies are somewhat safe, but yes, we can do either <laughs> personalization on a more persona perspective where we uh, yeah. try to identify certain groups, but we could also uh, create an individual experience but that's a lot harder to uh, to analyze, of course, because if we have uh, 10,000 users a day with all individual experiences, uh, still hard to explain what is actually happening and why that is happening. Yeah, it becomes a black box and then you don't know. Exactly. <laughs> Aaron, uh, thank you so much. Our time is up. Uh, thanks for sharing us uh, what uh, SiteSpect uh, can do to help us navigate uh, these uh, these difficult times. <laughs> difficult times, yeah. <laughs> 
things are changing, uh, but that's uh, that's uh, a given for zero specialists, right? So we we should all feel very um, um, at ease in this uh, situation. Yeah, and exactly, and, and and basically never assume that you nailed it. You're always one step behind, and you always need to uh, make the extra step to to get on par again. And then at that moment, you're already behind again. Yeah. <laughs> so just keep working on it, and as, keep as long as you try and uh, and and think yeah. logical. It will be fine. Yeah, but hopefully you're you're ahead of your competitor. So that's that should be the driver. Exactly. You don't need yeah. to be the fastest. You definitely not be. Uh, don't need to. Uh, don't want to be the slowest. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Aaron, thank you so much. My pleasure. Bye bye. Bye bye. And this concludes season three, episode six of the Zero Cafe podcast with Erin Kerk. Make sure to check out the show notes on the Zero Cafe website for links to some additional information on today's topic. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Tawab Jabbar about digital growth marketing in Nigeria and working remote as a growth marketeer. Talk to you then and always be optimizing.